welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. But, uh, what I want to share with you this morning, I'm just going to call it what it is and be upfront from the beginning and say this, you're not going to like what I've got to say today. You're just not going to like it. And... Uh, it's just the way it is. I thought about trying to change it, but you know what? I know this, that uh, in order to build a good life, in order to build a good marriage or a good church, you can't always get the messages that you want to hear, but you need the ones you need to hear. Does that make sense? And so I'm just going to say it what it is. You're not going to like it. Turn to the person next to you and say, I'm not going to like it. <laughs> but then add this, but I'm going to listen anyway. And the reason I feel to share what I want to share on this morning is because of what I shared last Sunday evening, and also I've had the opportunity to minister in a pastor's forum um, in the Australian uh, Assemblies of God churches in the uh, midweek conference, and I mentioned one little word And it was that one little word that uh, really stood out for many people, either here on the Sunday night or on the Wednesday morning when I ministered. And the word that I mentioned, among all other words that really stood out for many, was this, the word stay. Everyone say it, stay. Um, Stay is a word that empowers, it's a word that encourages, it's a word that enrages people. I had some of my good friends come up to me Sunday night and say, that was a great message, God bless you, thanks for nothing. That's how encouraged I was uh, on Sunday night based upon this one word. It's kind of a word that kind of drowns out every other word. I preached a great message on Sunday night, I do believe, but that one word kind of ruined it for some people and encouraged others. And uh, I believe it's such a difficult word to swallow. And I believe, to be honest, it's one of the hardest things that God has. And that's getting people to stay put. I talked about people that are in dog obedience. You know, the first thing you learn at dog obedience class is this. You've got to get your dog to stay. Because everything else is built on stay. It's not built on fetch, it's built on stay. And if you don't get your dog to stay, it's going to ruin your house. It's going to ruin your life. You'll be chasing after this dog for the rest of your life unless you get him to stay. And I believe God is wanting us to be a people that know how to stay. Uh, I've got to be honest with you, um, we had a dog for about 16 years growing up. His name was Sam. I loved Sam. He was a cross between a dash hound and a fox terrier. He loved me, but he hated Baz. And we could never get this dog to stay. We failed in teaching him to stay. And as a result of him not learning to stay, he never learned any other etiquette of being a dog in a house. And so he bit Baz on many occasions, drew blood. And to be honest, we probably should have had him put down, but it was just all too much fun, to be honest. (laughs) Watching my little brother get bitten by our dog, which was just quite sadistic, I know. But anyway, um, we never kind of learned um, how to teach this dog to stay. But the good news is, at least with dogs, you can teach them to stay, unlike cats. 
Cats are just downright mean. They just come and go as they please. They're just not going to be taught by anyone anything. They're just, they're just mean. Just like They look at you like, give me my food now. They eat and they tick off. But at least dogs can be taught to stay. And I believe we can be taught to stay because stay is the foundation on which everything is built and everything grows. If you look at plants, if you want the plant to grow big and healthy, then it needs to stay in the ground. You can't rip up a seed. You can't rip up a plant and continue to repot it all the time and expect it to grow. You're going to stunt its growth by all its movement. In order for something to go big and strong and healthy, it's got to stay in the ground for a long period of time. And in order for us to grow our marriages and to grow our churches, we have to know what it is to stay put for a long period of time. The Roman Empire was one of the greatest empires of all time. But the saying goes that Rome was not built in a day. If you want to build something great, it's going to take more than a day, more than a week, more than a month, more than a year, more than a decade. It's going to take a long time to grow something great. It is true for families. You don't grow a decent family or a decent marriage overnight. It takes time. I will put this little clause in. There are times when it comes to family whereby staying can be unhealthy. If there was a woman being literally physically abused by a husband, there could be a chance and a time to run and to get out of that environment. I will concede that. But I do know this, that of the 50% plus of all marriages that end in divorce, that is not the main reason why they end in divorce. That is not the main reason why people run. People run because they've had enough, because they've fallen out of love with people, because they're bored, because they want to change, because they want something different, because they've just had enough. And that's not good enough reason to move. Stay. I believe the word of the Lord is stay. Hang around. The majority of us just need to hang around. And staying requires, and this is where you're not going to like me, a little thing called patience. And that's what I want to speak to you about today. Patience. Say it with me. Patience. See, the problem is we hate to wait for anything. Many of you would know when you go through the drive-thru, you expect your food to come through real fast. And if it doesn't come through real fast, you get very agitated. I know I do. I kind of have this discussion with myself. You call yourself a fast food outlet. I've been waiting here for 30 seconds. That's not fast. That's ridiculous. Come on, where's my food? And the, most, the biggest insult you're ever going to get at a fast food restaurant is to go to the waiting bay. Oh, we hate that. We're, 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 we're ready for a lawsuit right there. I mean, that's, that's, that's worthy to go to court over that. I mean, come on, you call yourself a fast food outlet. You sent me to the waiting bay. Fast food and waiting, they don't go together. And that's what we do with our lives. And we get upset and angry because things don't happen in our time frame. When we want, the word patience is the capacity to accept or tolerate delay or trouble or suffering 
without getting angry or upset. I mean, it's hard enough for people just to stay, but to stay without grumbling, to stay without getting upset, to stay without complaining. Oh my gosh, it sounds like New Testament Christianity to me. Are there any Christians in the house this morning? I have noticed that there's a lot of Christians this morning. The sun's out and everyone comes out. God bless you. Fair weather Christians. God bless you. It's great to see you. We would just, we'd just love to see you a little bit more often, that's all. That's all I'm saying. So, having said that, let me go to the book of James. Love the book of James. There are great men, greater men than me, who did greater things than I'll probably ever do, who don't think the book of James should be in the Bible, so go figure. And it's probably something to do with this portion that I'm going to read to you, to be honest. In James chapter 5, verse 7, and you can read on the screen if you like, it says, be patient. I mean, we could just stop there. I mean, just, just go home. Just, just be patient. God has spoken. Go home, peoples. Just be patient. It says, be patient then, brothers. And that does not let the sisters off. If you're a sister, it's talking to you as well. Until the Lord's coming, see how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too should be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other, brothers or sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance, and you have seen what the Lord faithfully brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. These words, be patient. I want you to take off your rose-colored glasses. Take them off right now. Because what we tend to do is read the Bible with rose-colored glasses and think, you know, when these writers wrote what they wrote, it was all right for them. They're not living in the world we are today. What you need to understand about this letter that was written by James, the half-brother of Jesus, it was written to Christians who were suffering. They were in a bad way. You see, being a Christian doesn't mean that you're not going to suffer. And James uses two different words to describe the patience he's on about. The first one in verses 7 to 8 is patience with respect to people. He says, be patient when it comes to people. And in verse 11, he says, be patient in respect with circumstances. And so whether you are going through a hard time because of the circumstances you face or because of the people that are in your world, James has covered both bases in saying, be patient in both. Be patient around bad people and be patient in bad circumstances. Be patient. Patience means to stay put and stand fast when you'd like to run away. Have any of you ever felt like running away? Good. That's not bad. That's not a sin when you feel like doing something. It's what you do with that feeling that makes it right or wrong. And so patience will help us to stay when we feel like running. James says this, 
He says, be patient until the Lord's coming, which highlights two things to us. One is the time frame. He said, be patient until Jesus returns. In other words, he wasn't saying be patient for a day. He wasn't saying be patient for a week. He wasn't being, saying being patient for a month or a year. He was saying for us to be patient until Jesus returns. So he wrote this 2,000 years ago, so he was definitely speaking to the people of his time, but Jesus still has not returned, so he's speaking to us today. Until Jesus comes back, you've got to be patient. You've got to be patient. And then not only is it about the time frames, but it's also about the focus. I believe what he's saying is, Two things. One, you've got to be patient until Jesus comes back. But then he skillfully and masterfully just flicks the attention onto Christ because that's the only way you're going to do this. Is get your attention and your focus off your problems, off your circumstances, off the people in your world. Take your mind off that and focus your attention and focus your time and energy on Christ. You will never be patient by trying to be patient. If you leave today and think, right, that's a great message. I'm going to try and be patient. I'm going to be the best patient person I can ever be. You will never be patient enough. You will run out of patience trying to be patient. You can't do it. You weren't designed to be patient as you need to be. We can only be patient enough by focusing on Christ, who is the epitome of patience. So patience doesn't come through trying harder. It comes through focusing on Christ and getting a heavenly perspective. See, when you see Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane and all of his friends and those that are closest to him have fallen asleep when he's already told them to stay awake and pray because this is the the hour that I need you most and they've all gone by and he continues to love those people. When you start focusing on such patience, when you start focusing on such virtues, when you start focusing on such character, oh, I want to tell you, it brings perspective and all of a sudden your circumstances, they might not go away, oh, but they're put in perspective. Some of the people in your world, oh, they may not go away. Oh, but it puts things in perspective. Three times Paul pleaded with the Lord to remove this thorn in his flesh. Oh, we don't know what that thorn was, but I'm led to believe that it wasn't an ailment. It wasn't a circumstance. I'm led to believe that it was actually had something to do with the people in Paul's world that were causing him so much grief because there's nothing like people that give you the biggest pain in the neck. And he said, oh, can you get rid of this, Lord? Can you get rid of this, Lord? Can you get rid of this, Lord? And maybe some of you have said that about your wife. Maybe some of you have said that about your husband. Maybe some of you have said that about your neighbours. Maybe some of you have said that about the people in your world. Get rid of them, Lord. Get rid of them, Lord. Get rid of them, Lord. And you know what? I believe for the most part, God's going to say, no. But I will give you my grace. And it's my grace that'll be sufficient for you. And you'll find that you have patience when you never had patience. And you'll know that it's not you. You'll know that it's me. And you'll live a life that testifies to the goodness of God as opposed to just getting your own way all the time. I knew you wouldn't like it. I knew you wouldn't like it today. But this is where everything's built. 
This is the foundation for everything. It's called patience. The Amplified version of Philippians chapter 4, verse 13 says, Oh, I have strength for all things in Christ who empowers me. I am ready for anything and equal to anything through him who infuses inner strength into me. I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. Do you believe that? Really? So why do we whinge? Why do we complain? Why do we leave? Why do we give up? Why do we give in so easily if that is ringing true in your heart? You can't have that at the forefront of your thing and then say, I'm out of here. You can't quote that with a place from a place of conviction and then just leave. Paul, oh, sorry, James gives three examples to prove his point about patience. Because he knew that this notion of being patient would be hard to grasp. And so he says this, consider number one, the farmer. What's so significant about the farmer? Well, he works hard and he waits long. That's what James is saying here. He's constantly at work. He's preparing, he's repairing, he's cleaning, he's watering. He's doing all this work. Maybe some of you are like that. Working on your husband, working, on your, working with your kids, working in a certain, certain situation or environment. The answer is to keep doing it. And then, not only is he working, but he's continually waiting. You see, no crop appears overnight. And this is what I believe is the art of actively waiting, where we're working, but we're waiting. What are you watering that dirt for? Oh, because a crop's coming. I'm working, but I'm waiting. I'm working, but I'm waiting. I'm working, I'm waiting. See, I'm not talking about a waiting that sits around and does nothing. It's not like the farmer is so ticked off that the crop hasn't come that he stops watering. What are you doing? I'm just waiting for the crop. No, it's not going to come if you stop working. Patience is the art of actively waiting. It's actively waiting. It's sharing our love and our faith in Christ. Just keep doing it. See, the last thing I want for us to do is just hang around married. Oh, I better hang around. I better stay because Tony said stay. But I'm going to be miserable. No, I didn't say that. I'm talking about actively working on your marriage while you're waiting for change to happen. Work on it. And I'm not asking you as a husband to work on your wife or you as a wife to work on your husband. I'm talking about you as a husband working on yourself. And then you wait for her to see the change. Oh, I realize I've been the right so-and-so with her husband, so I'm going to work on myself. And she hasn't seen it yet, but I'm going to wait until she sees it. I'm going to wait until she sees it. I'm going to keep being patient. I'm going to keep being kind. I'm going to keep bringing home the chocolate and the flowers. I'm going to keep it and let her know that this is a lifestyle change. This is not just a one-off moment. And I'm going to wait for her to see it. I'm going to wait for her. As opposed to doing it for, for, for two weeks in a row, two whole weeks. And then we give up and say, oh, I didn't even see it. What's the point? So we work and we wait. We work and we wait. We work and we wait. This message of staying is not a license for you just to sit around and be miserable until she leaves. So you can get off on a misdemeanor that you actually never left. She left me. Yeah, you as a right miserable so-and-so.
And so I want us to stay, but I want us to stay in faith in our staying. I want us to wait, but I want us to be working while we wait. To build something great, it takes hard work and a long time. Eugene Peterson says, to make a difference, it requires long obedience in the same direction. Wow. See, God honors obedience that is long-suffering and has longevity. And what I've learned about people is that we're just too impatient. We'll have one religion for another religion. We'll swap one church for another church, one job for another job, one house for another house, one theology for another theology, one relationship for another relationship, one degree for another degree, one city for another city. We'll change everything but ourselves. And if you want to grow as a Christian, oh, I wish there was a magical wand. I wish I could call you all down the front, lay hands on you, that you would shake, speak in tongues, and come up just change. And I do believe in that. But that change will give you the power to bring change in your world. There's no shortcuts here. There's no magical cures. There's no wands. Jesus himself, the Son of God, waited 30 years to have three years in ministry. Takes time. If you want a good marriage, it takes long obedience. I'm 42 years of age. I've been together with my wife for 27 years. Dated for eight years, been married for 19 years. Been together for 27 years. And thank God for every person who's been together longer than that. You're heroes. It's awesome. It's the way it should be. The great thing about our marriage is it's better now than ever before. It's stronger. It's better. Because over time, as time, we've built intimacy. We've built trust. We've grown our love. Over time. Have we ever argued? Absolutely. Have we ever disagreed? Often. Am I ever wrong? Never. This, that was a joke, yeah? Cool. Oh, you got it, cool. Anything that is great takes time. If there's anything you appreciate about a strong, healthy marriage, it's on this foundation, time. Time. Too many of us give up too quickly. Because we haven't settled some things. This is, this, is where, this is where patience is founded on. It's just that settling. And I thank God that from an early age, I knew my God was Jesus. I knew my authority was Scripture. I knew my wife was Kath. I knew my vocation was ministry. I knew my city was Adelaide. And I knew that victory is my life work. I knew that. I've settled it. It doesn't mean I haven't had other opportunities. It doesn't mean that other offers haven't come. But I believe at the heart of being patient is a settling what you're here for. 
And so many people, they, they tell me they want to help the church, they want to do this, they want to do that, they want to do the other. And they do for a short period of time. But then something else comes along. And you don't build anything great in the short term. My heart and desire is to grow old here. Adelaide's the most, not the most dynamic city in the world. It's not the biggest city in the world. It's not the fastest paced city in the world. And I've had prophesied over me, you're too big for Adelaide. Adelaide's too small for you. You need to get out. And that sounds very tempting. But I can't shake this God call to dear old Adelaide. And I thank God that these things in my life have been settled. When I had the opportunity of speaking at this conference just this week, I got up there. I wasn't dressed like the rest of them. I didn't speak like the rest of them. But I said something and it got their attention. I said, we planted our church over 17 years ago with 13 people. And when I said 17 years, all of a sudden it gave me credibility. Up until then, it's just kind of like, oh, who's this guy? Who's this young, good-looking, <laughs> upstart of a man? But then they soon realize he's all of that and he has longevity. <laughs> and I said, I, I, I want to I help you understand how you can grow your churches. Who here wants to grow your church? They all said yes. I said this, stay. You've got to stay. You want to build a large church, a healthy church, a good church. It's built on stay. Over 17 years ago, 13 of us didn't have anything. We didn't know anything. But we've just hung around. And little by little by little by little. And I went on to say, in the same year we planted our church, there was another church planted in the same year down south. It was a church by the name of Southside Christian Centre. Now is known as Edge Church. And that just started big and just got bigger very quick. And everyone wanted to be at Edge Church. Edge Church was a place to be. And I said to them, I said, you know what? On a bad day, I wanted to be there too. There was days I was speaking to 15 people. I thought, what's the point of all this? I'm busting my guts. Why not just get us and just go down there? And then we had another church just down the road, a little church called Paradise. And when we started, we didn't have children's ministry. And so we'd have some fam families come and they'd have their kids and, and they'd say, this is great, but where's your children's ministry? We said, we just don't have one, but you know, we can look after kids today. And you know they're not coming back. And you know they're going to go to Paradise because they've got great kids' facilities. And so we had to watch families go. We grew Paradise Church. That's how good we were. And it's discouraging. And you think, what's the point? Why are we wasting our time with all of this? And, and, and don't get me wrong, just because it's a small church, don't think that there are some people who don't want to say some nasty things in a small church. Everyone thinks, oh, a small church is friendly. No, a small church can be downright rude and mean. And little by little, Slowly but surely. If there's anything you appreciate about this church, understand it's built on this. Waiting, staying, staying, 
and waiting and waiting and staying and staying and waiting. Do you like this church? Staying and waiting and waiting and staying. Do you really like this church? Waiting and staying and staying and waiting and waiting and staying and staying and waiting. And when you want to give up, you stay and you wait and you wait and you stay and you stay and you wait and you wait and you stay and you stay and you wait and you wait and you stay and you stay and you wait and you wait and you stay and that's what you do. And the whole time you're working. And you're grabbing the ones and the twos and the threes and the fours and somehow you look back. And you grow a church. Because it takes time to get traction. You know, there are some people who came to our church in those early days. It's almost like, I like what I see. I like what you're saying. And I'll come back if you're still here in 10 years. And many people have put us to the test. People have come back and they say, well, we visited your church five years ago. We visited your church 10 years ago. But now it's more attractive because there's credibility. One reason I appreciate my dad more than most men is this ability to live in what I'm talking about. He taught me this. Not with words, not with clever sermons, but with his life, with his lifestyle. My dad's never had a position in the church. He's never been a deacon or an elder. He he served faithfully for many years. Truth be known, we wouldn't have him on our leadership team. He'd just be too argumentative. But anyway. (laughs) But this I know. He's an example of long obedience in the same direction. He's been married to the same woman for over 55 years. Been training in the the gym for 59 years. How do you, Keith, tell me how you stay fit in your 70s. Well, you go to the gym regularly. Not just in spring in your lead up to summer for two weeks. It's not going to cut it. I know many of you are taking out memberships because it's spring. The sun comes out. Oh, I must go to the gym. Too late. It's too late. If you haven't been training through winter, it's too late for you. Just a little hobby horse there. It's all right, I'm moving on. He ran a successful business for 30 years. He lived in the, he's lived in the same house for the last 47 years. He's been a Christian for 38 years. He served faithfully in only two churches, one for 21 years, and the last 17 years he's been here. Long obedience, same direction. Consider the farmer who works hard and waits long. What I love about dad, he's not sitting there miserable. He's on the second row. He's had everything. He hasn't given up. He hasn't given in. I could add a whole heap of other details that make his story even more phenomenal. I just won't go there for the sake of time. So it's not just hanging around. It's hanging around in faith, working and waiting. Secondly, consider the prophets, James says. They spoke the truth and they suffered much. What can we learn from the prophets' lives? That they suffered for speaking the truth. In other words, it's possible to be in the will of God, doing exactly what God wants, and you get opposition. Don't think that because everything's going well, you're in the will of God, necessarily. It could be the case but it may not be the case. The prophets that James was referring to are the men that got sawn in two for their faith. 
that got hung, drawn, and quartered for their faith, that died horrific deaths for their faith. Why? Because they spoke the truth. That they dared speak the truth. We live in a society today that is so relative. Truth has, truth has become relative, and so anything goes. And should you know, homosexuals be allowed to get married? And should this and should that? And we put it up for agenda, and we just talk in and around things. You know, we've got to speak the truth. We've got to do it in love. We've got to do it gracefully, with compassion. But we can't compromise on the truth of the word. You know, we often hear, uh, we've heard the saying, truth hurts. You ever heard that? And we always think in the context of the person hearing it. Have you ever heard truth that hurts you? Well, spare a thought for the person who brings the truth because they are rare. They are rare. The people that will actually speak the truth in love to you. There's a greater pain that comes through speaking the truth than actually hearing the truth. It's a premeditated suicide when you speak the truth. You're going into a war zone when you speak the truth. Again, I'm not talking about being crass. I'm not talking about being rude. I'm talking about speaking the truth because you love somebody. And plucking up the courage to say some things that may offend but also may help. Because the truth is not always popular. The other side of this that we can learn from the prophets is this, that God never leaves you. We see Elijah was fed by ravens. He had, he had no source of food, and yet ravens came to feed him. God is able. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. Thirdly, James says, consider the life of Job. And Job was faithful, even when not fruitful. You see, Job was this incredibly wealthy man. And everyone looked up to him. There was no one like Job. And he caught the attention not just of God, but of Lucifer. And Lucifer says, does God, or sorry, does Job, or is Job's faith in vain because you've set a hedge of protection around him? And so God removes some of that protection and lets Lucifer have his way with Job to prove his love and to prove his faithfulness. And overnight, Job pretty much loses everything, all his wealth. He loses his friends. He loses his family. The only family member that he had still alive was his wife. And she was just complaining. And so if there's one family member that God left alone, she was giving him grief. He had three friends who turned out to be a real pain in the neck. And yet, in all of this, Job remains faithful to God and refuses to say anything bad against God. Because the argument was, what have you done wrong? You've been blessed, now you're not. You must have done something wrong. Tell us what it is. That's the whole argument of the book of Job. What have you done wrong? Confess your sins. He said, I have nothing to confess. His wife says, curse God and die. I mean, thanks, honey. <laughs> Thank you for those words of encouragement. I imagine Job saying, Lord, 
why didn't you take my wife? <laughs> I mean, think about it. And he never says a bad word. His relationship with God is so real, it's not based upon what's happening to him. He has a real relationship with God. He has all these sores over his body. He's unrecognizable in some ways. In actual fact, when his friends first see him, they don't speak for seven days. They're so grossed out by what they saw. They're just like lost for words. What do you say to a guy who's in such agony and pain? Warren Wisby says this, when you find yourself in the fire, remember this, it's God who keeps his gracious hand on the thermostat. He will not tempt you beyond what you can bear. So I want to say this as our musicians come, be faithful. Be faithful. If you're single, be faithful in your singleness. Don't wait till you're married. Can't wait till I'm married because then it'll be okay. No, 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 no. Be faithful in your singleness. If you're married, be faithful in your marriage. Don't wish you were single. It just never ceases to amaze me. We've got single people who wish they were married and married people who wish they were single. Like, what? Just be faithful in your singleness. Be faithful in your married life. Be faithful with no kids. Be faithful with kids. Be faithful. Be faithful in your ministry. Whatever your ministry may be, be faithful. Be faithful to God and let Him make you fruitful. Leading a church from 12 people through to what it is today has taught me this, be faithful in every season. When you've got 12, it's not about being faithful with the thousands, it's about being faithful with the 12. Can you be faithful? And by that, for me, that meant preach with all your heart. Don't you dare hold back on these 12 people and wait till you've got your thousands. You give them the best you can right now. And so to the best of my ability, I preach with all I had. Faithfully, Speaking as loud as I could, as if there were thousands, but to the 12, which became 13, which became 20, which became 25, which went back to 15, which became 20 again, which became 30 again, which went to 31, which went back to 20. This is, this is it. This is how this church grew. And we'd have an outreach and we'd double it. We'd have 40 people and you'd have the next Sunday and you're back to 20 again. And the whole time God's saying, be faithful. Don't run. Stay. Okay, I'm going to stay, Lord. And you preach again. And you get another person, another family. And you get up to 50. And it's fantastic. I used to dream and say, God, if I only could have a church of 50, that would be awesome. 50, God. I don't know if that's ever going to happen. Lord, 50. It just seemed just beyond. I mean, I, just, I was doing my best and nothing was happening. I'm like, God, 50. I, I forgot the hundreds. I mean, when I first started, we were talking thousands. Day one, mate, I'm going to be this great, but we're going to... After a few weeks, if I could ever end up with a church of 50, I just, that'd be amazing. And you get to 50. And God, 
encourages her with that. It took, it took a while. It didn't happen overnight. It took a long time. It took a long time for us to get 50 committed people. A long time. If that makes, if that makes you think less of me because I'm a now a bad leader in your eyes, fine. I'm just trying to be vulnerable. It took a long time. I'm not one of those guys that can just get a crowd overnight. Thank God for them, but they are rare. And they're downright annoying too. But I knew that wasn't me. And I thought, guys, if you hang around long enough, you build a great church. And it was on the proviso if you hang around long enough. And I believe no matter how bad your marriage is right now, I believe if you take seriously what I'm saying, it will get better. It will. Has to. Even if your partner doesn't change, and you hang around, and you take this seriously, and you work, and you wait, and you wait, and you work, and you work, and you wait, and you stay, if nothing else, you'll be a better person. And you'll be a better example. And people will take you more seriously, which will make you more effective in your ministry. It will only get better if you hang around. It will only get better. I don't want to overstate it and say, hey, you know, I don't want to overstate it. But I know this, it will get better for you. If you make the decision, and you can't make it on behalf of your partner, I'm talking about you making the decision. At the end of the day, when I saw people leaving our church, I said, I'm going to stay. Because I can't do anything about any of you. I don't know if you'll be here next week, because it might be raining. But I'm going to be here. I will. I'm going to be here. I've made a I'm going to be here next week. And I've built my life on that. Because that's the only thing I can do anything about. And it will get better for you. It will. I, I prophesied in Jesus' name, it will get better. It will. If you stay, it'll get better. It won't get worse. It'll get better. If you stay. You will grow if you stay. You'll get stronger if you stay. Jesus will be more to you than ever before if you stay. The Word of God will live again if you stay. Because sometimes God brings circumstance our way that force us into the Word of God. Whereas if it was all okay, we would drift. And so you'll be a better person if you stay. If you're single and you stay pure and you stay a virgin, oh, it'll get better. It'll get better. Because you'll be able to build a relationship upon purity. You'll be able to build a relationship on stay and wait. The problem with most relationships and the reason why we have so much divorce, not just outside the church, but in the church, is our relationships are not built on wait. We're built on give it to me now. But if we can build on wait and stay, I'm telling you, it'll give us an opportunity to talk and get to know each other. And fall in love with each other. To be able to come together on our wedding night and add all the extra stuff on a good foundation. Physical intimacy is not a good foundation for a relationship. Waiting and staying and talking and communicating and apologising and owning your mistakes. That's the foundation of a relationship, not sex. You don't make a bun with cream. You make it with yeast and flour and water and whatever else ladies make cakes with. But the cream makes it tasty and awesome. 
And there's things God wants to add to your relationship and make it tasty and awesome. Sex being one of them. But it's not what makes a marriage. It's talking. It's looking at the person you love in their eyes. I'm so sorry. I was wrong. I'm out of line. And you may have to wait for her to forgive you or him to forgive you. You may have to wait for that sorry, but wait. Stay. Doggy, stay. Takes time to get a dog to stay. Takes a lot longer to get a person to stay. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen. God bless.